I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, at the Disney Catalog Fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy anniversary, Kiki. Happy anniversary, Tuesday. Yes, this episode marks our four-year anniversary doing this podcast. Kiki, uh, are you surprised we're still doing this four years later? Uh, Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really. So, yeah, and what are we doing to celebrate our four-year anniversary? We are celebrating the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. To celebrate this, to celebrate all of that, we have decided to go back to our last big anniversary with Doctor Who. That will be the 50th anniversary Doctor Who episode, The Day of the Doctor, which introduced a brand new incarnation of the Doctor, never before seen. The one that broke the promise, the one that abandoned the name, the war doctor, John Hurt. So a few months before this episode aired, we got the the name of the doctor episode. And at the end of that episode was when we first saw the war doctor. Kiki, you want your f- opinion. Do you, if you, if you can even remember that far back. What was your opinion when you saw John Hurt on screen for the first time and those words introducing John Hurt as the doctor? When they first showed that that screen mm-hmm. that was like introducing John Hurt as the doctor, we knew that Matt Smith's run was coming to an end, but they had not announced the next doctor yet. So we got that screen and then we got the Capaldi announcement between that screen and this special. Um, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. And so there was, if I remember correctly, a little bit of speculation of like, are we going to get like a season with John Hurt or something? Like, is John Hurt like a big Doctor Who fan and he just always wanted to play Doctor Who and like, you know, um, because I'm not sure a lot of people were really expecting us to see the war doctor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but originally the plan was to have this be Christopher Eccleston. And then he declined. Which would have made this this special a lot different because the original plan is to have the three doctors of the modern era, Eccleston, Tennant, and Smith. But with Eccleston turning down the offer, they had to find somebody. Now, I had heard rumors that Moffat was pushing for Paul McGann since he was the most recent Dr. Pat, you know, before Eccleston and putting him as the war doctor. And then the uh, BBC said no. That is the story that I had heard. That if they were not going to get Christopher Eccleston, they wanted a bigger actor to pl- to be in that position. And I love Paul McGann, 
as I've said, the Ace Doctor, thanks to those audio adventures, is one of my favorite Doctors. But I'm going to admit that he is quite, not quite, he's not John Hurt level. Well, yeah, I mean. So, as Muffet said, he he went for broke and got in, this, these are the words of, of Stephen Moffat, the greatest actor that ever lived. And he ended up getting John Hurt. We do see, because we talked about Night of the Doctor, mm-hmm. um, which shows that the Eighth Doctor did participate in the Time War to Those some early, extent. The, the, the early days of the Time War, at least. Yeah, we're we're not sure how long he was in, you know, because we don't exactly know how long the time war lasted and, you know. How can you measure time in a war across time? Yeah, but at least in the Doctor's personal timeline, we don't know how long he was fighting the time war. Um, Because, you know, they say in this episode, there is 400 years between the incarnation of John Hurt's War Doctor and where Matt Smith's 11th Doctor is at the moment we see him in this episode. So 400 years in his personal timeline. Uh, We don't know exactly where David Tennant's 10th Doctor is in that grouping. 907, I believe he said it was. So, So, yeah. But we don't know how long the Eighth Doctor personally, in his own, you know, continuity, had been fighting the Time War. We know that he regenerates into young 1980, 1979 John Hurt, because that's the picture that they used. We know that it's been a long time because he had to go from being young John Hurt to old John Hurt. Yeah, so we know that that if the body ages in whatever way that is, you know, um, then he's he's been doing the Time War for many centuries, probably. Yeah. In his own uh, personal timeline as the War Doctor. Uh, for him to age that much because we see, uh, the 12th Doctor go through quite a long time without appreciably aging. Mm-hmm. And we see the 11th Doctor go through quite a, a decent chunk of time without appreciably aging. So if he goes from, you know, 8th Doctor Paul McGann into young John Hurt into old John Hurt. That's millennia, maybe. Maybe. That's why the age of the doctor is always so weird. You know, there's the the joke in this episode that's not really, you know. Eleventh Doctor has about 
you know, my age is whatever, unless I'm lying and I'm not sure when I'm lying about it. Like, you know, that he can't actually remember, you know? I'm pretty sure at least three times in the doctor's life, he's forgot how old he was and just started over. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like my 3,000 and my 5,000. 900 sounds about the right number. We'll go with 900. <laughs> yeah. It's like those people who are like, you know, this is the 12th anniversary of my 39th birthday. I've been 39 for 12 years now, you know? Yeah. As I, I have a feeling the doctor is kind of whatever the Time Lord version of that is. Been 900 years old for a few centuries now. Yeah. It's, whatever is considered just before you start to turn old by Time Lord standards, <laughs> he's just picked that number and stuck with it. We, uh, we, 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 we even got that reference with the 13th Doctor, where she says, I'm centuries years old. I don't even know how old I am anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Doctor's age is mud. Just like the Doctor Who continuity is mud. Because he's gone back and forth so many times, he's probably contradicted himself more than he can even realize. But uh, with with this special coming up, there was a lot of expectation for it because it's the 50th anniversary. It's the first anniversary in the new Who era. And they made a big deal out of this because this was going to be a worldwide premiere. It was going to be a first. For the first time, this episode was going to air live in all over the world at the same time and in theaters. And I was lucky enough to see this in a theater with a bunch of Doctor Who fans, a lot of cosplayers. I remember one guy in a full Cyberman suit. I don't know how he sat down. Or watched the, the thing. Because you saw it in 3D, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> like, how, how that dude watched it in 3D. I assume he would take the helmet off. But the, yeah, you you sent me the 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 little um thing that they played in theaters before the showing. Yeah. And that was adorable. I love that they went through the the trouble to make that cuz it had Strax in it and then yes. it had Matt Smith and David Tennant and somebody standing in for the back of John Hurt's head. <laughs> So, yeah, they had Strax doing the silence your cell phones, no recording during the movie spiel that you see during every presentation of every theater. And, yeah, we get this introduction with Matt Smith addressing the audience. Welcome to the 100th anniversary of Doctor Who in 12D. And by the time we get to the 100th anniversary, David Tennant will still be playing the Doctor in some capacity. Probably. All 57 doctors and David Tennant's about a third of them. Yeah. The uh, the funny thing is, though, is that I I honestly think that Strax's version of that, like, silence your phones and stuff should be the the way that it's always done. I, I want something that's kind of like that strict like can you please not be a dick in the movie theater this is not your living room there are other people here be respectful 
One thing I do remember, because I had gotten out of the theater and I checked social media about it, and apparently the Doctor Who social media pages were putting up similar messages from Strax to not post spoilers, to get off your phone and stay and watch the movie. What are you doing on your on your mobile device? Oh, that's so cute. I cannot find them anymore, but I remember those being on the Doctor Who social media pages as this was airing live. So, yeah, for the first time all over the world, people were able to watch it at the same time. And it was the only time it's ever happened. Uh, like, BBC America at the time would air Doctor Who the same day, but it would be several hours later. Like, it would be 7 p.m. in the U.K., and you had to wait till 7 p.m., U.S. time to yeah, watch it on BBC is, America. Which is my time zone five hours, your time zone six hours later, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if people were douchebags about spoilers, you know, yeah. you're you're kind of out of luck. But, yeah, they they did it for, for that day, and it, it kind of, it was an interesting thing of it kind of being available at the same time which honestly with streaming and stuff now there is no reason for it not to just be available all at the same time and which makes me wonder how they're going to handle this disney plus deal with 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 the bbc are we getting at the same time it's airing on the bbc or are we getting it a few hours later yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wonder if it's going to go up at, like, just, like, you know, midnight Greenwich Mean Time or something. Like, I don't know. It it would, it's, they haven't told us yet. As of this recording. Uh, yeah, as of, as of when we're recording, we, we do not know yet exactly how the, the timing of it's going to work. And granted... There's still going to be a delay in which people can watch it because, you know, that's how time zones work. You know? It is just, even if you make it accessible to everybody around the world, some people are going to be asleep. Some people are going to be at work. Some people are going to, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody can't actually sit down and watch something live unless it's, a massive news event like, you know, the moon landing or something where people know it's going to happen when it's going to happen. And they completely change their schedules for this is a major news event kind of thing. You know, you must kill us all on site. Sorry, had to make the reference. <laughs> yeah. Everybody at this point, there's no reason why everybody shouldn't have access to everything within a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of ridiculous that they don't... I I liked the fact that they did this Day of the Doctor thing basically all at once, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get to see it in the theater. I watched it on BBC America. Um, Was there anything special for the American television version that wasn't in the... Any other version? You didn't get like a Strax intro or anything? I don't remember there being one. Um, there there may have been. I, I think it was just like 
you know, BBC America being like, and now a special event, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I don't remember there being like a, a real, you know, uh, hey, we got the actors to come in and do a little bit of shtick for the thing. The, in my memory, it was just like, you know, and now all over the world, you know, everybody's watching the 50th anniversary special. Here we go. And then it opens up with, you know, that really cool opening. But um, the thing I like about going back to the to the thing that the people in theaters saw, I love the fact that they understood that a lot of people were going to be taking kids and it might be their first 3D experience. Mm-hmm. And so they did a little thing to acclimate kids to, hey, don't freak out. This is what 3D looks like. Because if the doctor says it's okay, then it's okay. Yeah, it's like it's like kids kind of trust when the doctor says this is what's supposed to be happening. So they had that little thing of, you know... Parts of this are going to be in 3D, which means things are going to jump out at you. And let's just test that now to make sure it's working. And then they had both doctors, you know, wave their uh, sonic screwdrivers at the audience to, you know, test the 3D, you know, which I kind of like. Because if that if you are a little kid and that's your first 3D experience, some of that stuff can be scary. Even if it's fun stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Doctor Who can be scary with the monsters and stuff for some little kids. If all of a sudden your first experience of 3D is like a Zygon jumping out at you from the screen. Or a Dalek or something. That could be really scary for a little kid. So I like that they thought ahead about that of like, this could be some kids entry to 3D and we don't want them to freak out. We want them to know this is okay. And how do we introduce them to that? And then my favorite thing was that they used the new 3D glasses technology because we grew up with the old red and blue. The one that the 10th Doctor wore. Yeah, the the one that the Tenth Doctor wore with the red and blue lenses, but now they have those those clear polarized lenses, um, and they they do a neat little trick where they they told the audience to like close a specific eye and then look at the the person next to them with their good eye, and if the lens on their you know, thing turned black. They're an they, alien. <laughs> then they're an alien and they're going to eat them at some point during the show. And, you know, oh, well, you know, there's nothing to be done. Don't freak out. Sorry, we can't save you, you know. Which is awesome because if you know how those glasses work, they will, you know, if you put those, the uh, the opposite lenses together, they will black out. That was such a fun moment. That was like the first big laugh moment in the theater. Everyone in that theater was just laughing because they knew they knew the trick. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is like if you're a little kid or even if you're an adult that doesn't know how those glasses work, 
that's a really neat, like, quote-unquote magic trick, <laughs> you know? And I love that they used that little bit of sci- science that somebody in, you know, in the BBC thought about that and was like, oh, hey, you know, here's a fun little trick we can play on the kids in the audience. Um, And that they put that in there because it's something you can't do with the old 3D glasses we grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, that red and blue thing like that, that just doesn't really work. But it is a neat trick you can do with the new 3D technology, which I like. And I laughed so hard because even though, like, I didn't experience it in theaters, I understand the principle. And when he was like, and if it blacks out there, and I laughed so hard I had to pause the video um, because I was like, oh, that's so cute, like, using science to, like, you know. And I just, that, that really got me. Like, I can't tell you like how much that, that made me laugh. And I, I loved that. And I love that they did that to the audience in the theaters. Um, and, and, and the banter, like, you know, here's David Tennyson, watch out for the chin. <laughs> yeah. That Matt Smith's chin was going to be like overly 3d and come out at the audience and stuff. Which, you know? uh, yeah, if you watch the, the, there was a few theaters that showed us in 2d and the, the video I showed you did have that 2d intro where Strax going up to this one guy who had his eyes bandaged because the doctor's chin just stuck out of the screen and poked him in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is weird because I never thought of Matt Smith as having a big chin. I always thought of him as having like a very pronounced brow, mm. like a like a Cro-Magnon kind of brow. <laughs> that was always my thing with with Matt Smith. Like when he first came in, it was like that is a pronounced brow line. And then when they make jokes about it, you know, the joke about David Tennant is always like, oh, it's like you're super skinny or whatever. Um, and then the joke about Matt Smith in there became like his chin for some reason. And I was like, I never noticed that because I can't stop but if looking you, at his brow. <laughs> this actually is a reference. If you go back to the regeneration when Tenet became Smith, uh, the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith, is actually rubbing his chin and going, blimey. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's there's all I think they kind of like ask each actor like. Hey, what's the thing that you feel most self-conscious about so that we can constantly mock you for it? I mean, for Eccleston, it was the ears. Yeah, and, you know, John Hurt even mentions that in this episode, you know? Mm. Um, and But, like, it seems like every single actor, like, it's like, hey, what physical feature of yours are you, like, really touchy about or something, you know? Like... And then um, for 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 Capaldi, it became the eyebrows. Yeah, I mean he is a man blessed of like glorious eyebrow. <laughs> so, you know, I don't I don't really think that's so much a a bad thing. Um, but the I, I I think I think my one of my favorite lines in the episode is is when Matt Smith is commenting on the skinniness of David Tennant and he goes I've never seen that from the outside before it's like a special effect <laughs> <laughs> Mexican man yeah um 
So yeah, we have our also uh, let's move on to our villains, the Zygons. Zygons first appeared in the fourth Doctor story, Terror of the Zygons, and hadn't make made an appearance since. Here, the Day of the Doctor is the Zygons' second appearance in the series and the first appearance in the modern series. And they don't change much of the design from the classic series, just making it a little bit more scary. It's still a person in a rubber suit, but the suit seems to be more functional than it was in the 70s. And I do like that um, Tenth Doctor does refer to Zygons as rubbery tentacle sucker things. Mm-hmm. But he specifically mentions rubbery as the the, the primary uh, adjective there. Yeah, the uh, interesting thing is you would think that the the big bad quote of this episode would be the Daleks, because we're talking about the Time War. Mm-hmm. But while the Daleks are in here, they are not the threat. Yeah, a lot of people thought the main focus of this special was going to be the Time War. Even in the, you know, before the title of this special was announced, a lot of people were saying it was going to be called the Time War. While the Time War does play into the story, it's not the main story. And to take a a monster like the Zygons from the classic series, a monster that hasn't been seen since the 70s, and make that the main story? It's very interesting. Especially when this is the anniversary episode. You know, like, like wouldn't you think the anniversary should have had the Daleks or the Cybermen or the Master or some other well-known monster from Doctor Who lore? But they went with the Zygons, which, you know... They got their money's worth out of it because we did get we did see the Zygons a couple more times in the series, but yeah, it's 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 an odd choice that the big anniversary bad the big bad of the anniversary just being these originally one off villains that we never saw again. But the fact that the Zygons can shape shift into anything does make it interesting, and they take advantage of that completely in this story, probably more than than the original story. Uh, side note, Terror to Zygons also is the story where Sarah Jane meets the Loch Ness Monster! Yeah. As, she, as she yells to Rose. <laughs> Sorry, Nessie did not make it into the anniversary special. <laughs> yeah, such a shame. But we do have Queen Elizabeth I back again for her third appearance in the modern series. No, uh, second appearance in the modern series, uh, third appearance in the series series. Yes. Because one from, uh, the classic, the, yeah, the, yeah. Queen Elizabeth I first made her appearance in Doctor Who in the, in the chase. And, uh, she makes her appearance, her first appearance in the modern series. And the Shakespeare Code, yes, that is the episode where they meet William Shakespeare. At the end of that episode, Queen Elizabeth I arrives to see Shakespeare's play. She spots the doctor and immediately orders his execution. And they wonder, what did you do to piss off Queen Elizabeth? Doctor says, I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. 
And, you know, this is the episode where we find out. This is also a reference to David Tennant's final episode, The End of Time, where he gets out of the TARDIS in his little vacation mode attire look up to the Ood saying, oh, a merry queen, a merry good queen Bess. That nickname no longer applies to her. But when we see Tenth Doctor with Queen Elizabeth in, you know, when when we join them uh, in that first scene, we think like, oh, they're in a relationship and stuff. And then he brings out the little machine that goes ding when there's stuff. And I love the machine that goes ding when there's stuff. Can I point out that's like maybe my favorite weird little device that Yeah. It's just like the doctor's like, I have a machine, it goes ding when there's stuff. It's like this is finally the 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 thing that where we find out like what it does. Um but we find out that apparently he's just been courting her because he thinks she's a zygon. And he's trying to make her slip up and reveal herself. And then he finds out it's the horse. Oh, it's the horse. (laughs) I'm going to be king of England. (laughs) And I love that the only time the doctor is like really romantic and stuff, like uh, up until we get the stuff with River. But like, I love the idea of the only time the doctor is like really romantic is like when he's doing a ploy yeah like the thing i wonder about is i wonder if this is the point where the doctor decides to learn to speak horse possible because maybe if he knew how to speak horse he might have figured it out earlier because i've never known if that speaking horse was uh like part of the TARDIS translation circuits, or if it was just like, you know, I spent a summer abroad learning how to speak horse, you know? <laughs> I mean, we know the doctor can can understand babies, and that doesn't seem to be a translation with, with the TARDIS. But also, we don't know if that's like a telepathy thing, or, or what. Or him just talking out of his backside? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is one of the most weirdly put together episodes slash specials. It's the closest thing we get to a Tarantino style in terms of the narrative, because Tarantino movies are never told in order. So we get like, we start with, with 11 and then we move on to, to, war and then we move back to 11 and then we go to 10 and then we go back to 11 and what they're doing in their respective points in history yeah but also it it starts with clara just you know being at the school and i like that we start with the original opening yeah, we get the black and white Doctor Who intro, the a recreation of the original intro from 63. 
And we start this special the way the original Un- Unearthly Child episode started with a police officer walking by Foreman's Junkyard, and there we see Cole Hill School. Yeah. Which Clara teaches at when she's not traveling with the doctor. But, and then one of her co-workers comes in and is like, oh, Clara, are you okay? There's a, there was a call for you from your doctor. She's like, oh, did he leave an address? And they're like, yeah. And then she gets on a motorcycle and rushes to, you know, the middle of nowhere. There is a great, there's a great Easter egg here. If you pause at the right time. On the Cole Hill School sign, it says Chairman I. Chesterton. Aww. So, yes, we get a shout-out to First Doctor Companion Ian Chesterton, who is now the Chairman of Governors at Cole Hill School. That's that's so sweet. I I think I've missed that every time. That's that's very nice. Um, however... Yeah, Claire and the doctor are just, you know, they're like, hey, you know, let's go off on an adventure. And then suddenly a helicopter picks them up. The This really does put show a little bit more of Clara and, and the doctor's relationship. Because, like, number one, apparently the TARDIS likes Clara now because it responds to, her, to the snap of her fingers and not the doctor's. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like the idea that the TARDIS occasionally just does things to annoy the Doctor. <laughs> and it takes it to the Tower of London. Uh, oh, no, no, it takes no. it to the Na- National Gallery. Yeah, and takes it to the National Gallery. And we get an introduction. Well, one character that we see here is Kate Stewart. Uh, this is not Kate Stewart's first appearance. Her first appearance was in The Power of Three. She is the daughter of the Brigadier, Gordon Le- Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. So, yeah, with Nicholas Courtney uh, passed on, uh, we need a new Lethbridge Stewart. So we have Kate Lethbridge Stewart, the daughter of the Brigadier, who is now the head of unit. But now we, But this is the first appearance of the character of Osgood. Yeah, Petronella Osgood. How's that uh, for a name? Yeah. That's a good Doctor Who name. I mean, if you're first, I mean, obviously she doesn't seem to like her first name because she just goes by Osgood. But uh, yeah, Day of the Doctor, first appearance of Osgood. Some, I like the character. I know there are people who don't, but the love and hate for Osgood is for the same reason. In that she's a Doctor Who fangirl. Yeah, I mean, she wears a fourth Doctor scarf. Like, every time we see her, she's dressed in another classic-era Doctor's attire. Yeah, I am going to say that I love Osgood. I wanted Osgood to have her own spinoff. I wanted... Osgood to come back as like a companion or something or Osgood to take over unit and be a semi-regular or... I mean, there, there is rumors of a unit spinoff in the works. There's, that's been a rumor for a few for a little bit. If that rumor turns out to be true, yes, sign up both of these ladies 
and make them the stars of a unit spinoff. I love everything about Osgood. I, I, I want more of her. And she's done a lot of um, audios yeah. for Big Finish. Ingrid Oliver is a busy woman. <laughs> she has not come back since uh, her appearance with the 12th Doctor, the Zygon Invasion, the Zygon Inversion. Which, again, it's it's sad because can you imagine... Can you imagine Osgood interacting with Jodie Whittaker's doctor? We we mentioned that with the Paternoster gang, you know, them interacting with her. Can you imagine Osgood interacting with a woman as the doctor? I mean, that would have been a ship I could have gotten behind. I do not care at all about Yaz and the doctor. That came out of nowhere. I do not feel they they really built that, but given their history together, I think that the idea of Os- Osgood and the Doctor having a thing by the time it's Jodie Whittaker would have made sense because there's history there. Mm-hmm. Osgood already like Osgood walks into the show with queer energy, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's what was intended from the character for the character, but she just walks onto the set with like major queer energy, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like, it, it's she's such a cool character, and like, so the idea of like. Her being like, I am a Doctor fangirl, and then the Doctor shows up as a woman, and she's like, and now I have different feelings for the Doctor. (laughs) I I think that would be a very interesting, you know, update. Yeah, we obviously have seen Kate in the trailers for the 60th, but we have not seen Osgood. Any confirmation of Osgood being in the 60th, which, which, which makes me sad. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, Osgood n- now it's like really weird because there's you got the Operation Double thing and like you know what I mean and honestly her story her story arc is kind of done Depend regardless of how you think about it regardless of which Osgood you think is which her story gets kind of done, so to have her continue to show up. But I'm just a fan of the character and just want more of this character. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, if memory serves, you know, there's the idea that, like, the human Osgood died and then the Zygons just decided, like, okay, we're just going to keep cosplaying humans and be good or whatever. Um, And then, like... Some of the novels and audios and stuff have just gone with that. That, like, there's the Zygon that's just with her form. But I think the show has always been a little more iffy on that. Mm. And maybe it was, maybe it could be like a, 
you know, the Zygon died in that form and accidentally uploaded Osgood's memories instead of the Zygon's memories. Who knows? Because that was the form that they died in, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Missy thought that she killed Osgood, you know? Who knows? But, you know, there's all kinds of timey-wimey ways you can, you know, the doctor goes back to a point in time before Osgood got replaced by a Zygon or something and picks her up and, you know. This is not the first Osgood in the series. There is a there is a soldier named Tom Osgood from the third Doctor story, The Demons. Or the Daemons, however you want to pr pronounce that word. Uh, I believe the original intent was to have that Osgood be this Osgood's father, but they did. They ended up going in a different direction ab about that. Although there is implication that there is some sort of relation, but it's uh, the original. This is Osgood's father was dropped pretty quickly. Oh, that. The fact that this leads into the the intro proper with the names coming on the screen and the title with that with that dun 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 uh, yeah majestic I, tale of a madman in a box is the name of the song yeah I love I love that particular piece of music it's great and it fits the eleventh Doctor so well because. Oh, whoever was Matt Smith's stunt double hanging from that TARDIS probably doesn't get paid enough. Yeah, that looked fun, though. Yeah. Because here you have Matt Smith, or the 11th Doctor stuntman, hanging from the bottom of the TARDIS, being held up by a helicopter. Or it could easily be a CG thing, I'm not sure. No, As... I think that one was real. I think they just craned lifted that at least the, the bottom part of that rig into there may have been some composite with the, the helicopter I don't think the whole thing was on a helicopter but I think I think I saw a behind the scenes thing and I think it was like the TARDIS prop on a crane and a guy hanging from it but yeah all, all this is happening with you know the the skyline of London with the with the actor's name Matt Smith David Tennant you know Jenna Coleman with you know Billy Piper John Hurt the name of the Doctor and yeah another one came up as I just mentioned it was the announcement when it when this was when their cast word was announced the announcement that Billy Piper was going to be part of this. So a lot of people thought she was playing Rose Tyler again. That this that was going to be our 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 time frame. It was going to be Tenet, Tenth Doctor, and Rose Tyler era. And no, no, it was not. <laughs> I mean, what was your? I don't know how how far in advance did you know about Billy Piper's involvement with the special or not? Yeah, I don't really remember. I do like that we see Billy Piper for the first time. And it is 
immediately apparent that she is not Rose. Mm-hmm. And I will give it to her because honestly, at this point, I had not seen Billy Piper in anything other than Doctor Who. When I watched this, I was like, oh, she really has some acting range. Because I had only seen her play Rose. Mm-hmm. And it was so obvious. It was so very obvious from the moment that she started speaking that whatever character she was playing was not Rose Tyler. It's a different verbiage. It's a different tone. Like, she's not talking like Rose talks. She's talking like Billy Piper talks. And, you know, whoever, whatever this is that has Rose's face... It moves different, it speaks different, it, you know, everything about it is very definitely not Rose Tyler. Mm-hmm. And I very much appreciated that because I didn't have to wonder for a second why Rose Tyler was back. I just immediately started wondering what was using Rose's face. Mm. And that that made me happy in retrospect because I didn't have to sit there going like okay how are they going to explain like how she's back from the other universe and the uh, why is she here and how did she meet the war doctor and how you know it was just like okay something is using Rose's face why and Mm -hmm. what you know and we do find out that this is a weapon called the moment that can annihilate an entire planet in one blow. And the operating system became sentient and has a conscience. And that's what what we're seeing, is that the moment has gone through time and taken a face from the doctor's timeline to try to convince him not to do it. It just happens to take this face from the war doctor's future. Yeah, I like when the moment says, I, t- I took this face from your past, and then the war doctor kind of looks like, uh, I don't remember that face. And then the moment's like, or the future, I get those mixed up. <laughs> if they were going in that direction, I get why they used Billy Piper, because again, you're, you're trying to kind of go- push this as a big anniversary, and you're trying to sell this to the modern Doctor Who fans, so they're going to know who Rose is. But if this is the 50th anniversary, maybe you would have had one of the older companions. Like, the. sadly, Elizabeth Slayton had already passed on at this point. So using Sarah Jane's face was kind of out of the question. You could have used Ace. You could have used uh, Leela. You could have used Joe, um, Joe Grant. You could have used uh, Mel. Tegan, Nessa could have used Perry and maybe have Perry in her natural actor voice and not her really bad American accent. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. There's only a couple of 
companions, and, and I hate to say this, but there's only a few companions that really have a certain emotional impact with the fandom. They needed a bit more gravitas, I think, than Donna Noble would have provided. Mm. Um, and the only ones that are kind of left are like Sarah Jane and Rose. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Liz Slayton had already passed on. Um, and I think it was also good. I, I know that when they were originally writing it, they, they wanted the ninth doctor and that would have been his only companion. Yeah. Um, so Rose would have made sense. You know, I, I picked this face because this is the one person you would have recognized. You would you listen know? to. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be Rose or Jack. Those are the only people he really had as companions and Jack wouldn't have held as much sway, you know? Jack would have said do it. Well, but I mean, as far as a face that would connect and bring out emotion, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, Rose was the only companion he had. Jack tagged along for a couple of, you know, adventures, but Rose was his only companion through that series. Um, Pulling companions from the past, yeah, but here's the thing, except for, like, Sarah Jane, the newer audience kind of needs a primer, you know? I get it. I mean, th- that's why I said, it, you know, Rose yeah. is there for the for the younger audience to have that connection. But if that wasn't necessary, maybe using a different older companion, but... Whatever is whatever. Yeah. But I think given the fact that we've switched over to John Hurt because of the Eccleston situation, having that, oh, there's, there's a pretty younger woman in here and I don't know who she is or where she came from is an interesting dynamic. Because the the box chose this face to be like an emotional attachment for the doctor, and it picked wrong because the doctor does not yet have an emotional attachment to this face, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating. The emotional attachment is for the audience. Yep. And that's the the thing is that she says things and it's kind of interesting that they have little throwaway lines about that the the past doctors are not going to remember what happened in this adventure cuz they're they, they the yeah it's it's a it's an established thing in, in in other crossovers that the past doctors will not retain the memory of the event because 
they've crossed over their own timeline, but the most recent Doctor will. Because of that, it's interesting because the box kind of drops the whole thing about Bad Wolf and stuff, and then you're like, okay, well, why doesn't he remember that? And then at the end, they're like, this has no bearing on the Doctor's past or anything. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, it's like... One thing I do like about John Hurt's attire, it's a nice midpoint between the 8th and ninth, ninth Doctor's attires. Because he's got, like, the shirt and the neck scarf of the 8th Doctor, but he's got the leather jacket of the ninth Doctor. Yeah, it it is a, a transitional outfit in that way. Mm-hmm. And... If you've seen the the Night of the Doctor, at which they released just before this, and we talked about with the Eighth Doctor, to see that regeneration, you get the idea of that this curmudgeonly old man routine is not just the typical Doctor has been a curmudgeonly old man since we first saw him in the Hartnell years. It's like this particular incarnation of the doctor has aged severely, you know? And I like the idea that his clothing kind of has to, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about this episode is the introduction of Gallifrey and paintings. Time Lord art. Bigger on the inside. (laughs) Well, and also that they're... I don't know whether I really love it or think it's just another way Time Lords are douchey. Because the description is kind of weird, but it, it does seem like if you take a picture slash painting of something, you trap any subjects inside of it. Uh, I mean, they kind of imply that with the stasis cubes later in the episode. But as the doctor describes it, it's a second of real time just frozen. But the thing is, is that it does mean that there is a being trapped in a painting. Like, if your painting is not just of a landscape with no living creatures in it, you are trapping... Theoretically a sentient being? None of them came out when the three doctors did. So it might not just be, it just might just be an echo of a path that no longer exists or something. Because when the three doctors and Clara come out of the painting later in, in, in the episode, no one follows them. No one else is coming out of that painting. Well, they might not know the exact exit point. Mm. But here's the thing is, is that that's how we get the 
Saigon potential invasion. That's how the Zygons get to Earth is because the apparently there were all these paintings of Zygons. And the Zygons broke free of the paintings. Because there's the whole point of the doctor talking about that the glass that was encasing the paintings got broken from the inside out. And those Zygons seem perfectly functional and sentient and normal Zygons. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, well, you know, they're not a perfect recreation of Zygons because they're only in a painting, you know? It's like, no, these are actual for real Zygons with all their powers and all their knowledge and all their, you know. I think you're overthinking it from the Time Lord perspective because as as they say, it's just, this is just how they do their art. And anything that's in there is just, you know... Still, I think more people should overthink things from the Time Lord perspective, though, because I'm not sure that the writers think of things from the Time or from the Time Lord adjacent perspective. Hmm. Like, I think they think of things from the Time Lord perspective a lot, but I don't think they think of like if you take one step to the side and look at it from a slightly different angle. So much stuff about the Time Lords is terrifying. Like, we know that Time Lords are not exactly the same as Gallifreyans. Mm. And yet, they're the ruling class of Gallifrey. And the idea is that, like, the Time Lords went out and started beef with the Daleks. And honestly, that could have just been the Doctor. But, you know, the Time Lords certainly didn't help matters. And all, and now there are all of these, like, just everyday Gallifreyans who don't have access to time travel. They never did anything to a Dalek. They're not part of the Time Lord Council, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just living their life on their planet. And suddenly, here comes a bunch of, like, pepper pots with, you know, a goo brain inside. Being like, we hate you, exterminate, exterminate. And they're like, okay, I don't know what the hell is going on, but, like, what? what? You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. One thing like, I do like... Like, there has to be a Gallifreyans against Rassilon movement. I mean... We know what Rassilon is doing at this point, and because they reference it, the general references that the council is having their own thing, well, whatever they're planning is going to fail, referencing the end of time. And let's let's use this to talk about the other mini special they dropped with this. The last day. The last day. Because that one, I think, is kind of, it's overlooked a lot, but it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's like three minutes long or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's on and, YouTube if you want to find it. Huh? It's on YouTube if you want to find it. Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube, so go go look it up. 
Um, it's like officially uploaded by the BBC or whatever. But um, we see like the general for the Time Lords that's in this episode and like another soldier uh, bringing a soldier in on like his first day in the war. And we see it from the memory recordings taken after death, okay? And all that the guy is supposed to do is he's just supposed to stand on the watchtower and make sure no Daleks get through the sky trenches, which are mentioned in this episode. And honestly, what the hell is a sky trench? It's just like they were like, we need something that sounds like warfare. Uh, trenches, sir. Okay, now we've got to make it spacey. Uh, sky? Sky trenches, yes. That is that is spacey and sci-fi. Okay, but what do they do? Who cares? It's a spacey sci-fi term. We're reversing the polarity of the sky trenches. <laughs> Go with it. You know, like... But the thing is, is that they have this thing of like, hey, we're installing your your little recording device because you're a soldier now or whatever. And they keep saying that it's like, oh, you're having hallucinations because of this. And at one point, the new soldier looks in the mirror and you see this like really horrific skull like skull body or whatever and he's mm -hmm. like no 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 it's a hallucination it's not like a vision of the future or whatever but the thing is is that this thing suggests because the doctor has said before that War crimes were committed by both sides. Mm -hmm. And I think that this special is suggesting that the Time Lords were so desperate at this point in the war that they were resurrecting dead soldiers. I mean, we know the Time Lords have the power to resurrect. They resurrected Rathalon. They resurrected the Master. Yeah, but I don't think it's true resurrection. I don't think they went through the entire process like they did. Because I don't think that the, the, these were important enough for like a full regeneration style thing. Mm -hmm. I think that this is like we have regenerated the body and we're just downloading memories via whatever this technology is. Mm. And we're wiping the hard drive, but it's not entirely effective. So you're getting bleed through from the previous time you were alive, you know? I mean, Time Lord soldiers, you essentially have 13 soldiers. I mean, it depends on whether they're Time Lords or actual Gallifreyans. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think they're doing this to Gallifreyans, and that's why it's not a true regeneration. Ah. I think that it's like a draft. 
they've run out of like Time Lord soldiers. And now they're just pulling from the general Gallifreyan population and they're giving them kind of like a half-assed version of regeneration. Possible. They, they do mention that they've used up all of their special Time Lord weapons with the exception of the moment. All they have left are basic laser guns. Yeah, That's I mean, this is left. the end of the time war that we're seeing. Yeah, both sides have already used up their magical space weaponry and are just using basic laser weapons. Yeah, and I think that this that's what's going on. The the whole thing plays out like a, a weird little psychological horror because you're seeing it from the point of view of the, the memories of this, you know, mm-hmm. brand new soldier on his first day, but then stuff keeps bleeding through the hallucinations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the hallucinations carefully, it really does look like memories of a previous existence. Yeah. Existence as a soldier. I think we're, you know, we're definitely seeing the moment just before John Hurt's doctor shows up and does the no more thing on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the Dalek invasion you know, just like moments or hours before that. Um, but the thing is, is that when when we see the Dalek invasion at Arcadia, most of the people are just people. Like it's it's just civilians. Mm-hmm. It's it's people in their like little you know red. Gallifreyan robes or whatever running and screaming there are a few soldiers but there are not many and most of what we see are just what appear to be regular Gallifreyans just running for their lives and the Daleks are not differentiating well yeah because the Dalek Dalek doesn't care Mm -hmm. but the thing is is that I it really gives you a different perspective on the time war and what the doctor both originally did and you know what the second, he does the, the second go around. Yeah, the second go around where he's just like, well, let's put Gallifrey in like a time stasis in, in its own bubble. Um which makes sense, considering that opening scene with John Hurt focuses a, a lot on the Gallifreyan children. Yeah, where the moment keeps saying, do you know how many children there are on Gallifrey right now? And he says he doesn't. And then we find out that by the time he's the 10th Doctor, he knows the exact number. And by the time he's the 11th Doctor, he has tried to wipe that from his memory and I think that that's one of David Tennant's best acting bits in this where he gets so mad at Matt Smith and is like 400 years that's all it takes you to forget that number you know yeah the as the moment says the man that regrets and the man that forgets yeah. And for te- uh for Smith, for the te- for the 11th doctor, it's coming from 
I've seen the place where I will die. I have seen my final battle. None, nothing else matters. I've seen Trenzalore. I know how I die. I've seen where I die. How can I think of anything else? Which is slightly selfish. The doctor's selfish? Never. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that the 11th Doctor was kind of the most selfish, in a way, of the modern Doctors. You know, 9th Doctor was trying to get over his PTSD from the war, um, so you could cut him a little bit of slack. And then 10th Doctor was trying so hard to be kind. Like, to try to undo all that damage. There are moments he slips. You know, family of blood. Time Lord Victorious. You know, Time Lord Victorious. Things like that. But, you know, he he desperately does not want to be the oncoming storm. You know, he he wants to be kind. He wants to be that echo of Ninth Doctor saying, you know, just this once everybody lives. Except he wants that every time. Um, so he is the the truly kind of caring. I, I want every time to work out in the best possible way. No, no unnecessary sacrifices, no sacrifices at all, if I can help it, you know. And then Matt Smith's doctor becomes the one, you know, because of the, there's those kind of centuries in there. He becomes the one that is kind of. I have to be somewhere in between those two. And I have to forget a lot of things. And I have to try to save people, but you know, we can we can have a little bit of a little bit of of uh sacrifice, you know. It's okay to let some things fall by the wayside. And then, you know, I I don't know. By the time it's Capaldi, it's kind of just pure chaos. Yeah. Um, but so, so-and-so and so-and-so can die, but if Amy and Rory are fine, it's a win. Yeah. I I think that probably John Hurt's best acting moment is when they're they're in the, the tower cell and he realizes that he is the cause of all of their upset. Yeah, the, the way you two look at me. <laughs> yeah, the the dread in their eyes. They, you know, he is their greatest secret. He is their greatest regret is being him. The the doctor that doesn't even get a number, you know? The doctor that doesn't want to be the doctor. And I it, in some ways, you feel for him because he was kind of the doctor that did what he felt needed doing. There is a common 
trope or common belief that the seventh doctor was the end justifies the means doctor. And that might be true in some stories, but the war doctor was the ultimate ends justify the means doctor. The time war had rattled the entire universe. Entire planets were gone. The Zygons have lost their home world among other races. It was worth destroying his own people, killing every man, woman, and child on Gallifrey was worth it to stop the destruction that both sides were doing to the universe and history. Yeah, because I think a lot of people forget that the Time War had such far-reaching consequences. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just... Gallifrey and Scarrow. You know, it's not just Time Lords versus Daleks. They were fighting on other planets in other timelines. Entire civilizations were were erased from existence due to this war. Yeah, and it's one of those things of, you know, do I give up something that's important to me or do I let this destruction continue? And I like the idea of instead of hitting a button and being like, okay, no more Gallifrey, no more Daleks in general, which is apparently what he originally did. He goes, all right, I'm going to take all my incarnations, including Peter Capaldi, who gets his first, you know, we get a oh, look at his eyebrows. The, the again being in the theater to see that and like the eruption. What our first look of, as of Peter Cabaldi as the Doctor. Yeah, you only see his his eyes, but you know there there we go. If you if you take all that Tardis energy and surround it, and you can in in bubble Gallifrey and move it to its own pocket dimension or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Daleks still wipe themselves out with their own crossfire, and to everyone else in the universe, it looks like they wipe themselves out, like everything's just gone. They took out each other. Yeah. And Which, the- in reality, a war of that magnitude, that is really the only way that war could end. Mutual destruction. But I do love that scene because you I wish for that scene that they had brought in the actors to record new lines rather than reuse lines from the show. Cause they were still alive. I mean they're still they were doing the big finish. They still sound like themselves. Granted, we're we've lost three. Uh, Hartnell and Troughton and Pertwee that you can reuse some lines that's fine but Tom Baker's still alive Peter Davison's still alive Colin Baker's still alive Sebastian McCoy's still alive Paul McGann's still alive you could easily say hey could you could we use you for a day can you come into the studio for one day and record some lines and then we'll put those brand new lines into the episode. We'll just use old footage of you on top of it. 
Yeah. The only new line for an old doctor we get is a William Hartnell impersonator saying, call in the war council of Gallifrey, this is the doctor. I I did like that where they used the stock footage of everybody else. Even, yeah, even the Eighth Doctor movie stock footage, which probably it cost BBC some money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One thing I did also like is that we go into the Black Archive of Unit, which is this TARDIS-proof area that your you, your memory is wiped every time you leave, so you don't remember remember what's in there. Just where basically all of the alien tech that is left behind by the various adventures of the Doctor is kept. And there's this wall of past companions. And, you know, it starts with, you know, you see Clara and you have Amy and Rory. But then you see Susan and Ian and Barbara and Ben and Polly and Sarah Kingdom. Um, They shouldn't have a picture of Sarah Kingdom because she wouldn't have been on Earth in the time unit existed. But that's my little nitpick. Yeah. But it was nice to know that Unit keeps a tab on all of the Doctor's companions. So it's not, you know, because they kind of have to. So after all of this, after they try to save Gallifrey, and they're not even sure they, they've succeeded. They're not sure they even succeeded. But they like to believe, uh, as, as the War Doctor says, better to have failed doing the right thing than succeed doing the wrong. And, you know... Um, there really wasn't a reason for the war doctor to have a regeneration other than we're going to try to have a half-assed Christopher Eccleston cameo in here. Unless you want to go by the thing that his, his sole existence is the time war. And now that the time war is over, he no longer needs to exist. Here comes the ninth doctor. Yeah, well, also, he does have that thing about, well, you know, wearing thin and stuff like that. And, you know, that that itself is a callback to the first Doctor. But, I mean, think about it, like, if, like we said, if he's been in that form long enough to be young John Hurt and old John Hurt, <laughs> um, he probably is wearing thin. I mean, we we would see it in the next episode as we go from young Matt Smith to Matt Smith and old man makeup. Yeah. But at the end of it, there's the 11th Doctor with the painting Gallifrey Falls. And it's mentioned earlier in the... Or no more. Or no more. But it's mentioned earlier in the special as Queen Elizabeth I in that letter, he dubs the, the doctor the curator of the under gallery, as as the, um, as she calls it. Basically, it's another black archive artwork and artifacts that ha- are deemed too dangerous for public consumption. Clara makes a reference that the curator wants to talk to him, and he makes this little comment, I could be a curator one day. 
when I, when I retire, I can come back and be the the curator of this place. And then we hear a voice. Maybe you will. And I'm in the again. This is one of those theater moments. I'm in the theater with this, and there's a collective gasp in the room when we hear that voice. And the man walks into the shot. You see his face, and it's Tom Baker. And we all lose it. Tom Baker, who has not returned to Doctor Who in decades, didn't return for the five doctors. Tom Baker coming back to Doctor Who for this was huge. Huge. Yeah. I I remember, you know, of course, I was just in my house, but I, I do remember being very excited. Uh, when I heard that voice, because I was like, wait a minute. And then the fact that it was him at the age he was when they filmed this. Yeah, he was 80 years old. It was not. It was not like de-aging. It wasn't, you know, old footage with new dialogue or, you know, a sound alike or some dude in cosplay doing the back of his head with Tom Baker doing the voice, you know, mm-hmm. it was Tom Baker as he is now, you know, yeah. or when this was filmed, of course. Yeah. 80 year old Tom Baker. He's 90 now. So, but yeah, 80 year old Tom Baker with a cane, which I'm surprised they, they let that on camera. But yeah, his, you know, Tom Baker as the curator, and we get this moment between the most recent Doctor and the most popular Doctor of the of the classic era having this moment together. And he says something that seemed like a throwaway line at the time, and has now become one of the most important lines in modern Doctor Who. That he says, you're going to go back and revisit some of those old faces, but maybe just the the favorites. The old favorites. And I don't even think they figure this out yet. But here we are ten years later, and the doctor is revisiting David Tennant's face. The number of videos that came out after the regeneration from Jody Whittaker to David Tennant to this line. But this also gives an option for the future if they ever decide to revisit this with other doctors. Like we could have a doctor in the future go to the National Gallery and then all of a sudden we get a one shot of the curator and it's Matt Smith or it's Peter Capaldi or it's Jodie Whittaker or it's Sylvester McCoy or it's Colin Baker or it's Peter Davidson. So it's it's it it gives some some options there for for a, a way for a older actor to come back, not necessarily playing their younger version of the doctor, but just playing this curator who just is the doctor from the future, 
what number he is, I it doesn't matter. I think at that point the doctor had stopped counting. But at some point the doctor will retire. He will come to the National Gallery and he will be the curator of the National Gallery. You know, that's a nice ending to the character. It's a beautiful scene and I'm glad that they that Tom Baker was able to come back. And then we get to that 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 ending coda, that ending monologue from the doctor where he talks about his dreams and that he now has a new dream to get home the long way around. And that ending shot of all of the doctors together. It's it's a great shot of all of the doctors together. And I did see the behind the scenes of that scene and they had a lot of body doubles in with the uh, black dots on their face where they would superimpose the pictures of the younger versions of the actors. I gotta say, though, that the fourth Doctor in that shot looks terrifying. They chose the wrong picture of Tom Baker for that one? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a good look. Um, the rest of them look fine, but they... They chose like an open mouth smile picture of Tom Baker and it hits the uncanny valley at just the wrong point. Where like the rest of them that you're like, well, I understand that they're pulling old images and they're kind of static, mm-hmm. but they look, you know, human to put it, you know, mildly. Like, it looks like a bunch of people standing a little too still, but, you know, it's it's a passable shot. And then you look at Fourth Doctor, and he's got his mouth open in this grotesque pose that's supposed to be a smile. I think this it, is the wax statue from the Five Doctors photo shoot. It might be. But it is, it is hideous. Like, whatever that is, is not good. Like, yeah. at that point, get, like, a, a lookalike cosplayer or something, because it would have been better than whatever they did. There are some fans of the classic series who were disappointed in this because it focused too much on the modern era. People were calling it the 10th anniversary episode of New Who rather than being a 50th a proper 50th fiftieth uh, anniversary special. I don't know what you could have done to satisfy those fans. That could be done on a BBC budget. Yeah, I mean, other than literally resurrecting some people from the grave and de-aging others... Which, you know, maybe they could do now with the stuff Disney has, but... And that's already getting pushed back. You know, de-aging actors has already gotten pushed back. Resurrecting dead actors through CG is getting pushed back. Oh, no, I, I agree. And I think there should be absolutely, you know... The 
person themselves or their family estate, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. should have complete control over when and how that's used. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if the, the person involved or whoever is in charge of their legacy, if they have passed, is okay with it for things like this, then I am sort of okay with it for small usages. I wouldn't want to see like, hey, we can resurrect William Hartnell, so let's just make new William Hartnell stories. No. But you like Bradley for that. <laughs> well, yeah, but but for like a 20 second long shot in a 50th anniversary special. I'm kind of OK with that so long as William Hartnell's estate is OK with that. You but see my, what I'm saying? I get that. But my point is, how can you satisfy the old school fans, the classic series fans with a 50th anniversary special without, you know, there's no way to do it that will be satisfactory to them with a BBC budget or even a Disney budget. Like I said, there's already pushed back against de-aging technology. There's pushed back against resurrection with CGI. I don't know what you could do even in this special that would have made classic Doctor Who fans satisfied. Well, the thing is, is that I think that there are some people in classic Who fandom who are always going to be like, this is my Doctor Who, you know? I used to follow quite a number of Doctor Who uh, content creators, and I had to unfollow them because it was very clear nothing in New Who was going to satisfy them. Like, no matter what New Who did, in any capacity, it was always going to be, this sucks. Classic Who better. Yeah, and if that's your thoughts, then I'm sorry for you. You're missing out on some really good stuff. Um, But I, I got nothing for you on that. There is nothing that would have satisfied them. Again, thankfully, there is the audio, so you can have the actors that are still alive do the audios, and then you can listen to them, and you can imagine in your head that they're still the young versions of themselves and have their adventures that way. But it's going to take a, it would take a lot more to do that properly in live action. Some you can get away with. Like Peter Davidson, it still looks like himself, just a little bit older. Sylvester McCoy still kind of looks like himself, just older. I don't know what else you could pull off on that one. Because like I said, Tom Baker's 90 years old and already and already when this production was filmed was having mobility issues. And Colin Baker ain't putting back on that coat for anything. Yeah, I have a feeling that Eccleston probably never is either. Yeah, true. He's satisfied doing the audio. So he just comes in every couple of months, records a few things in a, in a sound booth, and then goes on to do whatever else he wants to do. I mean, I I don't necessarily blame him, but the the thing is, though, is that 
I think that people have to stop trying to please everybody. Mm-hmm. To answer your question earlier, you know, there are things you can do and you can put out shout outs for the fans. But, you know, we talked about this before with the people who like with every new regeneration are just like, that's it. I'm quitting the show. This is not my doctor. My doctor was the previous guy, you know, and it's like. Maybe you could get away with that back in the day when, you know, Hartnell regenerated or something like that. Or you could get away with it when it was like, well, I only like classic Who. I don't watch new Who. And if you're one of those people, okay, fine. Some people are just constantly going to be like, this is new and I'm again it. You know, and I, I don't know. I don't really have much empathy for those people in that. Even even the most, re- even the upcoming specials. There's a, there was a pushback because it was just David Tennant. You know, you're you're celebrating seven, eight years ago. You're not celebrating 70 years of the franchise. Even though we're adapting a comic book story and bringing back a first Doctor enemy that has it, that most of their story doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, some people are just never going to be pleased. And I think you've got to learn to stop trying to please those people. Mm-hmm. You know, cultivate the audience you have, not the audience that is never gonna go with you. Just yeah. focus on making good stuff, and people will show up for it. Either way, I'm looking forward to the anniversary specials that are coming up. Am I a hundred percent happy that it's just gonna be David Tennant? No, but they have a plan. They have an idea. And I want to see what if I want to see what their idea is. I want to see wh- how they execute this idea. I would love it if uh, people are all like, "Yeah, just David Tennant." I mean, and then all of a sudden, there's like a surprise. A surprise Matt Smith appearance. A surprise Peter Capaldi appearance. You know, surprise Christopher Eccleston isn't mad at us anymore. You know, like that. It would be. Hey, it would hey. be so fascinating. Yeah, but we'll see what happens when when those cap when those uh, air. You know, again, as of this recording, we're we're about two weeks away from the episode. Uh, when this release, it'll be a few days from now. So we're we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, that technically does complete our retrospective of every canon doctor but it doesn't complete our retrospective of every televised doctor because it's time to take the TARDIS into non-canon territory next week to complete wrap up our 60th anniversary retrospective of Doctor Who we are going to be taking a look at some non-canon doctors we're going to take a look at The Curse of Fatal Death. We got Rowan Atkinson and a bunch of other actors as the Doctor in a Doctor Who parody spoof. And we're going to be taking a look at Scream of the Shalka. Richard E. Grant as the Doctor in the first animated 
Doctor Who pilot because this was supposed to go to series before they announced the the Eccleston reboot. So it's going to be interesting going back and taking a look at at the non-canon Doctors after we've just spent the entire year taking a look at the uh, official Doctors. Yeah, it's going to be fun to to look at those. So Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, happy 60th anniversary, Doctor Who. Hope everyone enjoys the anniversary. Celebrate the anniversary your way. If you're not looking forward to the 60th anniversary, watch your favorite serial, watch your favorite episode, do whatever you want if you're a Doctor Who fan and enjoy your the anniversary your way. And uh, if come back next week for the non-canon Doctors, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.